to Uproar in the Studio, your weekly Chinese blockbuster podcast. I'm Noah. I'm Reza. I'm Andrew. And this is the Jackie Chan post-Rush Hour 3 season. For our first bonus episode, we've got Rob Minkoff, director of the first movie for this season, Forbidden Kingdom, and importantly, also Lion King. I think we all wore out the tape on that one when we were kids, right? Yeah, I had a Simba sticker for my first guitar. (laughs) This was the first Disney movie that made me feel like, damn, like... This is definitely the people of color Disney movie. Like, this is the one we all love. Yeah. Mm. Uh, also, Julie Taymor owes all of her money to Rob <laughs> <laughs> Look out for his latest animated film, Blazing Samurai, coming soon. Here's our conversation. Had you grown up on Kung Fu Flicks? Yeah, I can't remember the first ones I saw, but I remember being a fan of Bruce Lee's from a pretty young age. And I remember seeing, I guess it was Jackie Chan's first movie that sort of broke out, Rumble in the Bronx, which, you know, I was a huge fan of his from that from that point. That came out around the time you were working on Disney animation, right? Yeah. Did any of those Chinese films influence any of the work you were doing? In Disney? Yeah. Well, I mean, there is a... Kind of a fun scene at the end of Lion King when Rafiki beats up uh, a bunch yep. of and we sort of did a little homage to Bruce Lee. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that. That was awesome. Yeah, like rewatching it as an that. adult, that's immediately what I thought. There's also some of the kind of Eastern mysticism that sort of creeps into Lion King as well. If you remember, Rafiki is sitting in the lotus position mm. when Simba comes mm. running up to him. After Rafiki says, I know your father, and then Simba kind of freaks out, but then he's sitting in he's sitting in the lotus position. You know, some people catch that, and then some people don't. I mean, as a three-year-old, I didn't, but as a ah. 24-year-old, you know, <laughs> comes out. <laughs> when did you first come across the story of the Monkey King? Well, I mean, I, be, I was aware of the Monkey King as a character before I got the script, which was originally called the Monkey King. Mm. But was kind of cool reading the script, which sort of had fun with, it was a little bit of a fast and loose interpretation. Obviously the Monkey King is sort of a classic story Mm -hmm. with very specific elements. And this was kind of a mashup of different Kung Fu, different martial arts ideas, different Eastern wuxia stories and characters. So just in doing some pre-interview research, we noticed that your wife is actually descended from Confucius. So we were wondering if that sparked some interest in Chinese mythology before coming onto this film, or if you really just went fully into it with this project? Well, you know, it's interesting. I grew up in the Bay Area of mm-hmm. California, and obviously there's big Asian and big Chinese community in that area. And I remember as a kid going to Chinatown, which was always super fascinating to me. And then uh, much, much later, it was actually in 1997 that I went to mainland China for the first time. So it was just after Lion King, a friend of mine who worked at Disney moved to Asia to open up some Disney offices in Asia. And he relocated there and then invited me to go to mainland China with him. And I saw for the first time and it was kind of an incredible experience and super eye opening. And uh, it wasn't until after that that I met my wife. But I do think, you know, there was something about it was very tantalizing, the idea of making a movie in China 
especially with Jet Li and Jackie Chan. And, you know, it was kind of great at the premiere, which happened in Beijing, to bring my Chinese family. What was the first time you met Jackie Chan for this project? That's a great question. I, I met him in Hong Kong at his office. We shot the movie in 2007. So it could have been could have been early in 2007. What was your first impression? Wow, Jackie Chan is so I mean is kind of an unstoppable force of nature. He is so energetic and just sort of an incredible person in a lot of different ways. You know, very charismatic, but he's like a kind of a big kid in a way. He loves cars. He has a whole collection of sports cars in the in the front of his office, which is a compound in Hong Kong. And going inside was very cool. You know, there's obviously tons of memorabilia from all the different movies he's worked on. And he's an eclectic filmmaker and performer and just so exciting to be around. I remember we had this one really fun experience. It wasn't, I don't think it was that trip. It might've been that trip. Actually, I think it was that trip. We had all gone out to dinner and he brought a a pretty big entourage of people. And there was, I think, at least two tables uh, at a restaurant. And he proceeded to bring out, you know, his Jackie Chan branded wine and everybody was drinking. <laughs> and then afterwards, afterwards, he says, hey, do you and me and the the, the writer, uh, John Fusco, he said, hey, do you want to come with me? And we're like, sure. And so we jump into his sports car and it's like souped up sports car. And we go blasting through the streets of Hong Kong faster than you can imagine. And he loved it. He was like <laughs> and hollering. And then we pull up behind a van, which was apparently with him and we stop the car, gets out, they open up the back of the van and they pull out a Segway and Jackie Chan <laughs> jumps onto the Segway and proceeds to ride it into a building. And we're like, what's going on? And it turns out Jackie Chan was the Hong Kong dealer for Segway and was delivering a Segway to a very wealthy businessman at this karaoke club in Hong Kong. And we got to follow him in and do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little window into what Jackie Chan is all about. How does that translate to when you're directing him on screen? Is he active in that process? Yes. You know, one of the things that was interesting is, and I didn't know this, you know, Jackie's been in a lot of Western movies, but English is not his first language. I'm sure everybody knows this, but I was a little surprised. So when we were auditioning actors to play against Jackie as the hero in the in the story, we wanted to do a callback with Jackie. And we had a couple of different actors that we were going to test. Uh, Michael Angarano obviously was one of them. The other one, interestingly, was, what the heck is his name? He sadly passed away. Anton Yelchin. Anton Yelchin, who yeah. played... Uh, in Star Trek, right? The... Yes, yes. Check off in Star Trek, exactly. So we went to the set of Rush Hour 3, I think. They were shooting downtown. And we brought the actors with us. And Jackie was in his trailer. And we went in one with the actors one at a time and shot some video. And we kind of brought the sides of the script that we were going to do. And Jackie's like, nah, I'm not going to read the script. And we're like, really? Goes, no, I, I, don't, I haven't had a chance to really prepare myself. I haven't really studied the lines. And I was like, no, it's OK. Just read. And he was like, no. No, not going to do that. So we then just started to improvise. And, you know, he was so funny. But after doing that, it it really became obvious who who the best, you know, who the actors were who had the best chemistry with Jackie. So he, he was amazing. When we were on the set, one of the surprising things is he never went to his trailer, ever. He sat as close to the set as he could whenever he was shooting his scenes. So that the minute you needed him on the set, he was there. 
And, and that's very unusual. I don't think I've worked with another actor who is that kind of eager to work. In fact, in the very first scene that we shot in the movie, we were on, in the desert. He had to walk across this sort of pristine sand and then kneel down. And he was going to do this little uh, ceremony to try to bring rain. And uh, so he, he walks across the sand. You know, we took obviously a long time to set up the shot. We had a big dolly set up and we, we sh- do the shot. And as soon as the shot is over, as soon as it's over and I yelled cut, Jackie leaps to his feet and shouts in Chinese for some to throw him a rake. And they throw him a rake, and then he starts raking his own footprints as fast as he can. And as soon as he's finished, he throws the rake back and then shouts, okay, let's go, take two. (laughs) It's crazy. And he did that through the whole production. I mean, it was unbelievable. I've never met anyone who is as excited about working as Jackie Chan. So how about uh, when you were working with Jet Li? Was he sort of kindred spirits with Jackie, or was he a contrast? Very much in contrast. It was interesting mm-hmm. because Jet is very religious and actually always carried around these beads, you know, these sort of Buddhist beads and was constantly in that space. Whenever he was off the set, he was much more introverted and much more focused on that. Whereas Jackie was much more the life of the party. You know, Jackie always had a kind of a group of women who were, you know, taking care of his every need, you know, around him all the time, assisting him. And Jet would literally just sit, you know, alone in a corner sometimes smoking a cigarette and, you know, otherwise sort of rubbing the beads in his hand. And I used to come to think that, you know, whereas Jet Li was a Buddhist, Jackie Chan was a Buddha. (laughs) (laughs) How did they interact on set in the moments when Jet wasn't off smoking in a corner? Well, you know, the reason that the movie got made was really due to their interest in making a movie together because I think it had been 15 years before we actually started shooting that they first talked about the idea of working together but because they're both such big stars it's a little difficult to get those two giant camps they're each like like a nation unto themselves and it's it's difficult to get those two worlds to kind of collide so it, it was really Casey Silver who convinced both of them, not just both of them, but, you know, both of their teams, really, that they could, you know, make a movie together. So this was really their dream come true, that they'd always imagined or always wanted to be in a film together. And now they finally got the chance to do it. Can you walk us through the choreography process of their big fight? You know, the one, I guess, that's 15 years in the making kind of thing in the cage? Sure. Well, obviously, there was a critical factor in putting the movie together, because Jackie Chan had really been his own stunt coordinator and fight choreographer for most of his career, but got his start working with Yuen Ping. And so Jet, who had worked on a number of films with Yuen Ping, made us feel that if Jackie was willing, that he would allow us to hire Yuen Ping to be the fight choreographer. And sure enough, Jackie said yes. And it was really incredible because they were having a reunion. You know, they hadn't worked together since Jackie's earliest hits. Literally Dragon uh, Master. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was kind of an amazing thing. And, you know, we were hoping that that would be the kind of the chemistry that would allow the machine to work. Because one of the key things is when you've got two stars of the caliber of Jackie Chan and Jet Li, you kind of have to understand that both of them are going to be concerned about how they come across and how they come off. And, and so we 
wanted to make sure, obviously, that they knew that we were not going to be favoring either of them. You know, we're not going to make one look better than the other. And that was always a key thing, because obviously people talked about who could beat up who. You know, was Jed, who, if they, were, if they were facing each other. Was Jackie going to win or was Jet going to win? And maybe 10 years before Jackie would win. You know, there's a lot of conversation about that. So, you know, obviously we're making a movie and we wanted to kind of fulfill this fantasy. But the idea was is that they were really equal. You know, they were equal fighters, even though very different, had different styles. So having them work together, especially with Yuen Ping, was just kind of amazing to watch. And, you know, it was so great that Jackie allowed himself, because he didn't have to, but he allowed himself and put himself in Yuen Ping's hands. Was them getting back into that drunken style together, did that take them any time or did they immediately click back into the 1970s? No, no, no. That's like, that's, that's like the back of their hand. They, they, <laughs> they know all of those things so deeply you know, they're so deeply ingrained in them because both of them, as you know, started their training when they were super, super young. The interesting thing was that Jackie Chan was virtually orphaned, but virtually, not not in reality, but his, his mom and dad both left Hong Kong to go to Australia, I think, work, to work in the American Embassy and, and left Jackie at martial arts school or, or you know, Beijing Opera School, mm-hmm. which is where he met Yuan Wuping and, uh, uh, you know, really got his start. And then Jet, was picked out of school because Jet obviously was born in mainland China. And from a very young age, he was sort of designated as a top contender because he showed a lot of promise when he was very young. And, and they literally took him away from his family to go train as a young boy. And so both of them grew up kind of alone without a family around them. Was them playing their most archetypical roles a big part of their meeting in this movie? Like Jet being a monk and... Jackie being the drunken master? Yeah, I mean, I think that that was ultimately what made it make sense for them to do. It was kind of a perfect vehicle. It wasn't, you know, there was obviously more story going on around those two characters. They were not, you know, not necessarily the hero or the focus, uh, but they could have these, bring back to life these great characters that both of them are famous for. We noticed that uh, that Peter Powell was doing the cinematography, and uh, you know, obviously, it's a very beautifully shot movie. But I was wondering if you were drawing inspiration for this film from his work on Crouching Tiger. Well, obviously, Crouching Tiger was such an amazing film. But when we came to having to make the decision about who was going to shoot the film, mm-hmm. uh, we knew we were going to make the movie in China, and the idea was that we were going to use a primarily Chinese crew to do it. And there weren't a lot of uh, cinematographers who you know, sort of had the experience of working in the Chinese film business and also in the American film business. So when the idea of Peter came up, it seemed like a terrific opportunity. In fact, that was an interesting story. So I, uh, the friend, by the way, who brought me to China in the first place in 1997, his name is Pietro Ventani. He became friends with Bill Kong, who's a famous Chinese film producer who produced Crouching Tiger. And uh, Pietro had always suggested that it would be a good idea for me to meet with Bill before actually starting to shoot the film. And so I flew to Hong Kong and we had lunch together and Bill was just the most incredible person you could imagine, super generous with his time and his ideas and very welcoming and warm. And he asked me who's going to shoot the movie. And I said, you know, we thought about a number of different people, but we weren't sure. And he said, well, I would recommend Peter Powell. And I said, oh, I said, really? I said, "Uh, that's interesting. I said, you know, do you know how I can get in touch with him? And he said, hold on. He reached into his pocket, pulled out his phone, dialed his number and said, hello, Peter, this is Bill Kong. I'm sitting with Rob Minkoff. He's about to direct a movie. I want you to meet with him tomorrow. He says, OK. And he put his phone back and he says, he'll meet with you tomorrow. <laughs> Literally what happened. 
And then the next day, I went back to the same restaurant. It was the Grand Hyatt Hotel in Hong Kong and uh, sat down and met Peter Pao. And, you know, it made a lot of sense because he spoke English, which was great. You know, we'd actually met other uh, cinematographers who didn't speak a word of English. And I was I kept wondering how that, <laughs> how that would actually work. <laughs> you know, it could be it could lead to trouble, you know. Um, so Peter was, I think, a terrific partner in this process. How did your background in animation come into play when you were doing the scenes like the Monkey King scenes and the kind of immortal setup type stuff? Um, you know, I think, first of all, animation shares a lot of similarities with live action in how you kind of plan and prepare. So obviously you're dealing with the script and then you're dealing with design in many different ways, you know, to building the sets, et cetera, and costumes. But then you're breaking the script down into storyboards and you're trying to figure out how you're going to make the movie visually. And that's common to both live action and animation. So live action directors do it virtually the same way. You know, obviously the big difference is in animation. Once you've got the storyboard finished, then you're going to go ahead and to the production process. And it's a little bit more solitary and singular because you're working with individual artists to create the scenes and do the animation or the layout or, or whatnot. And uh, in live action, obviously, you've got a giant team of people, like an army of crew and cast, and you've got to plan and prepare and then set it up and then shoot it, where you're actually able to use the camera in a variety of different ways and shoot a variety of different angles to create the film. So in animation, it's, it's actually in some ways more disciplined because you only animate what you need. You select mm -hmm. the shots, you plan it all in advance and then you commit to it because once you're done with the planning and preparation, that's exactly what you're going to do. In live action, you have the luxury to shoot a lot more material. And so some of the process obviously can be pushed into the editorial process. But as an animator, you sort of come at it from a visual standpoint and try to think about how you want it to come across in advance and then plan it that way. Was there a lot of improvisation on the fight scenes? Because we've heard that's the case on a lot of action scenes in other Jackie Chan movies. It was very improvisational. In fact, it was shockingly improvisational. Uh, Yun Mo Ping would basically bring Jackie and Jet onto the set, and then they would kind of, in this really interesting way, because Yun Mo Ping had his brother, who was his assistant, and they would all share ideas about what was going to be like the next shot. It wasn't planned out from beginning to end like you would in other kinds of movies. It was literally like designed straight ahead. So it evolved actually as it was being shot. So for those fight sequences, what kind of role did you play uh, as the director? Or were you really just handing over to you and whooping the reins of like, all right, this is going to be some sort of craziness that you're going to put together? I think my role was as the storyteller because I had to provide sort of the context of what the script was and what the characters were doing and why they were doing it, and how they were doing it. And so a lot of that came into play kind of early in the process before it actually arrived at the set. And then on the set, I was there to, you know, see what was being done and comment where necessary or just let it evolve. What was the toughest day for you during this shoot? Well, you know, yeah, from the very beginning, I think uh, it was very challenging for a bunch of reasons. But like I said, we had hired a predominantly Chinese crew. I only had a handful of people that could speak English. So that was so there was always a kind of a language barrier, which I managed to get through. In fact, I, I often told people, I said, I, I feel like the movie is actually sort of a metaphor for the making of the movie because I was the guy that came from America <laughs> and landed in the middle of China 
and had to work with the greatest heroes from Chinese cinema and sort of somehow survive in the middle of all of it. That was sort of my role. What were some of the other differences in the production style of, of filmmaking in China? Film is a pretty universal language, so there are lots of similarities. There are not that many differences. Before we started the film, there was a discussion about whether or not we were going to shoot seven days a week, because that's what they do in China. <laughs> uh, so they don't have a day off when you're in production. And ultimately, we decided we would shoot six days a week, and we'd take one day off as a kind of uh, compromise between East and West. So that was, you know, shooting six days is definitely tough. And I, we, I can't imagine what it must be like for them to shoot seven days. Do you have any particularly funny story you remember with Jackie Chan? You know, I remember we traveled around a bit and there was one small little uh, regional airport we went to. And I remember Jackie and Jet were both there getting off the plane and people were just freaking out like they were the Beatles. Because <laughs> they are. Because they are. <laughs> I know you shot a part of this film in Mongolia. Or was that Inner Mongolia? Or? We shot in the Gobi Desert. How were desert conditions? Well, that was, actually, that, was a funny, that was a funny thing. You just jogged my memory. So like I said, we were, we were in the first few days of shooting and we were in the middle of the Gobi Desert and nothing around for miles. I mean, it just seemed completely empty and barren. And we were setting up the camera crane and then suddenly the army came storming in in jeeps wondering why we were uh, <laughs> filming the army base that was just over the rise on the other side of this sand hill. We didn't realize that we had, we had picked a location that was that close to an actual army base. But the minute they saw Jackie Chan, they all got happy and said, oh, it's okay, it's fine, you guys can keep shooting. <laughs> nice. <laughs> the best diplomat. I noticed among the producers was listed Willie Chan. A sort of running thread of our season has been the sort of evolving relationship between Jackie and Willie. Did you get to witness any of that? Oh, absolutely. Yes. We had dinner. I think uh, at that dinner that I mentioned before we drove off to the karaoke, Willie was there, which is, I think, we met him on that first day in Hong Kong at the offices. Mm -hmm. So Willie was actually, I remember wearing like this pink kind of floral Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> but he was, I mean, he, he was a great great character i i appreciated his presence but you know he wasn't there a lot mm. someone told us like a, a co-star of jackie's told us at one point uh, on a movie that came almost immediately after this one that by that point their relationship had soured was there any friction there i never noticed a thing i think it, it it's happened sometime later is my impression. And I think there was Jackie found another person as a as a business partner. But I think that happened a couple of years later. Gotcha. So Forbidden Kingdom came towards the end of, I would say, maybe Jackie's 20 year foray into American cinema. Did you have any sense that he was kind of going back to Chinese film during the shoot of this? Because that kind of did happen. Sure. You know, it's interesting because there was never really a a sense that Jackie wasn't a Chinese film star. You know, I don't think he ever turned his back on Chinese cinema and, and everyone sort of understood, you know, he had these two careers that were going on simultaneously and same thing was true of Jet. So the interesting thing is that, you know, when we were making this film, it actually dawned on the two of them because this was set up as an American production. But when we ended up shooting the movie in China and casting a, a lot of Chinese actors and working with Chinese crew, that it seemed more and more and more like a Chinese movie. And that threw Jackie and Jet into kind of a state of confusion because, <laughs> you know, when they presented their movies in America, 
they had a kind of a different approach. And when they made the movie in China, they spoke differently about it. And of course, people in China were always curious about their American movies and what they were like and what the what the actors, what Jackie and Jet were like in those movies or what it was like for them to make those movies. And this movie was actually blurring the boundaries for them, which was very interesting. And you know, ultimately, I, I think it's one of the reasons the film was was uh, was actually went over so well in China. Was the film altered in any way to make that Chinese release go more smoothly? You mean, what do you mean altered? Oh, just like in terms of like censorship or sensitivities. <clears throat> I do recall they said that the censors were going to do something, but I never saw a version of it that I never saw that version. So I, I don't really know. If there was a censored version, I don't think it's, I don't know what they would have censored, honestly, because there really wasn't anything controversial in the film. I guess to what extent was this movie marketed heavily for the Chinese market or was it more geared for the American? Well, I had a Chinese partner in the process. They were a company called Huayi Brothers, uh, which is a very big uh, Chinese mm -hmm. media company. Yeah. And so they were on board the production from the very beginning. And so it was really on them. And they did a tremendous job promoting the film in China. You know, it was a big deal. I think that people talked about how many tickets it sold. Obviously, there were many fewer theaters at the time. Mm -hmm. But I think everyone still perceives it, especially because it was a co-production. And there was a lot of talk about making Chinese-American co-productions, but there weren't very many made, and not very many of them went well or, or succeeded. But this was one of the few that, that really kind of ticked all the boxes and really, you know, was felt like it was a genuine kind of thing. You know, I, certainly it was my intention to work on it and bring, you know, as much authenticity as possible to the Chinese elements of the story. And, and of course, I, as you mentioned before, it's, I do have a Chinese wife and Chinese mother and father-in-law and you know, mm -hmm. my kids are, are now mixed Chinese. So I, it's obviously something that I feel very deeply about. I guess the window for that kind of co-productions is, is that kind of closing? Do you think you cashed in on a really golden moment there? Well, you know what? We were sort of early in, the, in that conversation. So I think maybe we certainly helped promote the idea of it and think that, again, there was a, it was something everybody was really kind of eager to do, but there were a lot of complications and difficulties. And I'm still hopeful. And, and in fact, I'm working on some projects that have Chinese partners. So, you know, I, I still think that it's possible to do, but obviously there are challenges. So on those new projects, are they sort of more geared towards this massive new Chinese market? Or does that change the sort of calculus while making it? Yes. And I'm kind of right in the middle of that right now. So I don't have a, a clear answer for what sure. that's, if that's going to work or if that's, but yes, absolutely. For now, uh, I mean, with everything going on with COVID, because you're somebody who really does work in both the live action and animated realm, are you still moving forward with a lot of your animated projects or is it really just <laughs> grinding everything to a halt at this no, point? No, actually I'm in production on an animated movie right now. Oh, wow. Cool. So it's, uh, it's actually, it's an animated re I don't, I'm not sure it's a remake, but it's, it's a, a, a movie that is loosely based on a uh, blazing saddles called blazing samurai. Oh, and with Carl Reiner being gone today, I guess. Oh, I know, I know, I know. It's so sad. And Mel, Mel Brooks is actually a producer on the project and yeah so it's yeah it's a sad day yeah i saw that you were working on a a version of the chinese odyssey at some point as well yes yes can you talk about that project at all or is that still fairly <laughs> early in the uh, 
So the idea of that film was, again, to make a kind of East-West story, but it's a kind of an adventure fantasy story that was inspired by this, uh, this idea of something that I'd read about the character of Sinbad, mm-hmm. who, who may have been based on a Chinese character, uh, actually a Chinese historical figure named Cheng He, who was uh, a, a sailor. The explorer, yeah. Explorer who sailed and, you know, touched down on the seven continents. In, in fact, there's some belief that he may have, dis- you know, been to America before Columbus. But he, Cheng He, one of his names was uh, San Bao. Ah. San Bao. Sans for three treasures, San Bao. So some people think that the story of Sinbad is, is based on San Bao. That sounds really fun. I'm, I'm excited yeah. to check that out when, when it's ready. That's it for our first bonus episode. Thank you, Rob Minkoff, for a totally groovy conversation. Our original music comes from Elliot Saltmarsh and Yehuda of Fist with a PH, and our art comes courtesy of Jay Castro. Follow us on Twitter at China Film Pod. Like the Upper End Studio Facebook page, and if you can afford it, we would really appreciate it if you could contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Studio. We need investors to buy everything a light touches. Help out. And if you feel like it, have some thoughts or suggestions, email us at uproarinthestudio, all one word, at gmail.com. Before we leave you today, we just want to share some wisdom from the chairman. To read too many books is harmless. We'll see you on Friday. Mm-hmm.